There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi everyone, and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist, with me, your host, Chloe Timms. This week, I'm talking to Lizzie Damalola Blackburn about her debut rom-com, Yinka, Where Is Your Husband? Lizzie is a British-Nigerian writer born in Peckham. In 2019, she won the Literary Consultancy's Pen Factor competition with an early draft of her debut novel, which she wrote alongside her job at Carers UK. In this episode we discuss how entering the Pen Factor competition changed her life, writing a rom-com with a black young woman at the heart of it, and leaving perfectionism behind when you start to write. But first, here's Lizzie with an excerpt from Yinka, Where Is Your Husband? Mom continues to pray for protection, safety and security. No weapon formed against Kemi shall prosper. My legs are starting to ache and my knees begin to wobble. Then, at long last, Mom says what everyone has been waiting for. Lord, answer our prayers in Jesus' sweet, holy, precious name we pray. The last amen is triumphant. I open my eyes to see a wave of women collapsing on their seats, each breathing a loud sigh of relief. Except for Big Mama. She's already slumped in her chairs, shoes kicked off and legs outstretched. Her toenails look like pork scratchings dipped in red paint. I smile. Big Mama may not be the most decorous of my 300-odd aunties because in Nigerian culture, every African woman who is older than you by at least 10 years is by default your auntie, regardless of whether or not you're blood-related. But still, I can't help but love the woman. Hold on, she thrusts forward in her chair. Tolu, you didn't pray for your eldest daughter. Mum who for the past two hours has been patting her bird's nest of a weave sporadically, as if she has fleas, turns to me with wide eyes. Oh, yes, she exclaims, using one hand to hoist up her wrapper, while the other continues to pat her itchy scalp. How could I forget about Jinka, the investment banker? Head swoosh in my direction, and despite my attempts to avoid eye contact with my aunties, I can tell the grin at me encouragingly. No matter how many times I've told mum that I work as an operations manager in an investment bank, she still gets it wrong. Hi Lizzie, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here with me today to talk about your amazing novel, Yinka, Where Is Your Husband? Thanks so much for having me, Chloe. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) Can you start by telling us what your novel's about? 
Yeah, so um, Yinka Where's Your Husband is a rom-com and it follows Yinka, a 31-year-old British Nigerian woman who lives in South London. And Yinka's single and she's feeling the pressure to settle down by her very traditional Nigerian mom and her many, many aunties because there are many in the book. <laughs> <laughs> and then to make matters worse, her cousin goes and gets herself engaged. And so Yinka decides to take her love life into her own hands. And so she sets up this plan to find a date and time for her cousin's wedding. But then what kind of starts up as something very like simple turns into something like quite radical and Yinka feels as though she has to like change herself in order to find love. So in addition to this being a love story, it's also a story of um, self-discovery, which Yinka goes on with the help of her amazing friends. Mm. Yeah, I think it's interesting you you describe it in that way. It's definitely, for me, it definitely felt like a story of self-love rather than necessarily yeah. finding love. Um, so I read that you were inspired to write this novel because you weren't seeing these kind of stories that you wanted to see, kind of rom-coms with a mm. Black Christian woman at the heart of them. So can yeah. you explain how Yinka started life? How did you go from that desire to see something to then writing a novel? Yeah, so um, I'm a black woman and also Christian. And I remember like in my you know, early to mid twenties, I was looking for mainstream fiction, you know, rom-com with a black Christian protagonist or even a Christ Christian protagonist or a black protagonist. But I remember I really struggled to, to find one and um, I decided to do something about it. So I set up this blog called Christian Dating Dilemmas and basically there were different like short stories and they all had um, each Christian character had some sort of like love dilemma and um, Yinka was on there as well. And so her story, which is basically, you know, her feeling the pressure to settle down by her mum was kind of inspired by my experience because my mum at the time was asking me, you know, where's your boyfriend? When are you going <laughs> to settle down? <laughs> and so um, that's how that idea was birthed. But the idea to turn it into a novel um, came later on. So I went to this blogging workshop and I met this um, fantastic author called Jackie Lay. And, you know, as all writers do, when you want to get feedback on your writing, I shared my blog with her. And in addition to her giving me some really helpful, constructive feedback, she said, I really love this character. I feel like you should turn it into a novel. So I took on a challenge um, quite blindly, I say all the time, because I just didn't know the magnitude of like writing a novel. And so um, I think the first year and a half, I was just winging it, just like <laughs> starting, stopping, starting again. Um, and it wasn't until I decided to invest in myself as a writer, that's when the story evolved. So what motivated you then when you were kind of stopping and starting? Because I think it's quite easy for to have that feeling where you're thinking, what's the point? It's, I'm never going to get anywhere with it. What was the motivating yeah. factor for you? I think for me was the story itself, because I knew it would be so relatable to so many you know, women out there. And also I just felt like I had this strong calling in my heart um, to write the book. I felt like it was like my, my duty to <laughs> <laughs> say that. And um, I just knew that if I didn't write it, then I'm pretty sure at some point someone would, because you know there are similar stories to what I've written, but in terms of like the author having my voice, you know, and, you know, the, the things that I touched on, I'm not too sure if it would have been done, at least in the way that I've done it. So, yeah, I just kind of felt like it was my calling to do it. Yeah. You often hear that advice, don't you, that you're the only person that can write your book. And I think exactly, that's yeah. kind of, that's along the lines of what you were saying there. 
did you feel a little bit nervous because if you weren't seeing these stories out there in the world did it concern Mm. you that maybe the publishing world wasn't open to rom-coms with a black character or black Mm. christian voices and do i mean do you think things have changed now yeah so um ask your first question i think when i first started i didn't have like much ambition for the book um i thought maybe you know it would i'll self-publish and it'll be such a, a small thing you know that friends and family would buy and and then i did kind of like look at the christian publishing route as well but then i think some of them had quite strict submission guidelines in terms mm. of like what's allowed and what's not allowed and i wanted to include things like swear words for example because i wanted Jinka to be quite a flawed character um so i think at a time i wasn't too much I wasn't thinking about the publishing industry because I was at the very early stage of like my writing career. Um, but I think the more I wrote about it, um, the more I just kind of felt like, do you know what? I'm just going to give it a go and see and see what happens. And then, um, so your second question was. Yeah. Do, do you think things have changed in the publishing world? Have you seen more kind of black voices or diversity in the rom-com genre? Yeah, I definitely feel like it's definitely changed. I feel like, um, like even when I go on Instagram, I see loads of like um, books by black authors. Um, however, I still feel like we're lacking in the rom-com genre. So when I think of like white authors that write that space, I can like list you 10, but when it comes to black mm. British authors specifically, I can't really think of, of many. Um, so I know there's like Talia Hibbert and in a Bolu Babalola, she's more mm. like romance. Um, and then it kind of, I had to really think, and I'm pretty sure there's yeah. many out there, but then they don't have the same, um, I guess, coverage and, mm. you know, um, as other white authors do. So I would like to see more Black British authors in a rom-com genre. Like, you know, in the US, they have like African-American fiction. I kind of want to see something like that here. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that it's almost like they pick one title as their kind of prominent title. Mm-hmm. But as you said, I think there's a lot more focus on white authors when it comes to the romance genre. So I'm, you know, obviously it's it would be great if if particularly if Yinka was part of the movement to change, that would be uh that would be great to see. So when I reviewed this novel last summer, I said in my review that I kind of wished Yinka was my best friend at the end of it. <laughs> and I think there's so much warmth in the novel and humor and joy even when Yinka's got herself into a bit of a mess and you're just like head in hands you are still completely rooting for her so can you talk to me a little bit about how Yinka developed how did you kind of create that balance between making her flawed and likable but completely relatable it's yeah been a journey (laughs) like (laughs) it took me like maybe five plus years to write Yinka um but I knew from the get-go that I didn't want I wanted her to be like the awkward black girl. And I was inspired by TV shows such as um, Insecure and Girlfriends because they each have like a character that has that kind of awkwardness to them. And for a very long time, I remember growing up, I think black women were always portrayed as being like either very strong or like the, the cool chick. And, you know, we're not a monolithic group, but we're all quite different. So I just wanted to kind of like show a different type of, of black girl because we're, we're all different anyway and I guess the more I wrote about Yinka um, the more she kind of evolved on her own and you know I knew her 
you know, what she wore, um, the kind of food she likes to eat, you know, chicken chips. <laughs> and um, a lot of came... takeaways in this novel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like her voice became so strong that, um, yes, she was such a joy to write. And I remember at times I would have certain things in my outline, but then she would kind of run ahead and tell me what to write. And mm. I think that was the beauty. And that was kind of like the fun parts of, of writing Inca. Did you feel like the more you wrote her, the more she kind of was like in your head and you had no way of getting away from her voice taking over? Yeah, yeah. Even like writing book two now, like for a very long time, Yinka's voice has been in my head. I'm like, please, Yinka. I think it's it's really interesting what you say about her, like her awkwardness, because I'm thinking in particular of the scene where she turns up at the engagement party in her Game of Thrones t-shirt and is really like, you know, really casually, but cool, you know, cool, but casually dressed. And then gets there and is like, oh shit, I've really made a terrible mistake here. Yeah. And I think that's something, that kind of awkwardness, that like really like down to earth feeling is something that I think a lot of people will relate to, particularly if they're not 100% confident in their skin, which Yinka isn't. Yeah. And I wanted like people to be able to like to relate to Yinka. And I think the great thing about it is that you know, she does a lot of cringeworthy things in the book, mm-hmm. but I feel like um, there's some, there's at least one thing that you can relate to her mm. with. So we've talked about the kind of the, the novel's joy and and humour, but there are some kind of darker topics you explore in it, and and kind of deeper topics really, particularly kind of surra- um, surrounding her faith, things like texturism, colorism, and I imagine that was quite a challenge to get right because you're writing a a fairly light-hearted book but you obviously if you skip out these topics you're not being true to the character or the story Mm. you want to tell did you feel a pressure because those aren't topics that you'd normally find in a rom-com no I I I just kind of feel I need to be sincere and I need Mm. to like I'm going to do do this and to do it well and as authentically as possible so I try to like shut out like expectations from the publishing industry and things like that. And I knew that if I was going to write a story about a dark skinned woman, there's no way I can't touch on, you know, colorism and the mm. fact that she has like short, kinky, faulty hair. I have to touch on texturism because it's part and parcel of, you know, our experience. And, you know, colorism is, you can see it every day, you know, you know, from, the movies that you watch or you know the media like you know we rarely see dark-skinned women be seen as the desire of interest or the, the love interest and I kind of wanted to show how Yinka internalizes all those messages and for her she kind of feels like she's not beautiful enough she has she questions whether men find her attractive and so that has a knock-on effect on her self-esteem and um yeah I just kind of wanted to raise awareness of like colorism how it looks and how it can be quite subtle as well so that if people do kind of hear people being colorist or saying colorist things Mm. they can kind of like call it out but yeah I just had to kind of like stay true to Yinka's character so that um the book could do itself justice yeah and I I really think it does because there's some incredibly emotional scenes towards the end of the book where Yinka's kind of problems with her self-confidence really come to light and that I think there's a moment in the book where she said something says something like she just wanted to be beautiful and it just really it really gets to you I think it, 
particularly because she's such a likable character you're you're mm. you're feeling her pain in a really strong way glad to hear you say that <laughs> <laughs> so we've mentioned as well that it's a it's a novel of, of self-love of self-acceptance and obviously the central dilemma is she's got to get this date for her cousin's wedding which is a very I guess typical kind of rom-com problem but it's a <laughs> yeah. lot more about well for me it, it seems to be a novel about friendship and self-love and mm. kind of being being yourself and finding love within that within that frame can you explain why you kind of chose to focus on these themes instead of necessarily finding the one so kind of Mm. female friendship and self-acceptance so I wanted um Yinka to be kind of close to real life as possible and I know in my life like my my girlfriends are my everything and you know when I was single you know they were supporting me and I was supporting them and I really love reading books where the side characters the French the friends have their own journey of their own because I feel mm. like in real life it's not just kind of geared around one person and one person's problem so um, I kind of wanted to bring that out a bit and I felt like with Nana so Nana's the one that is his best friend but also she's um, launching her fashion business like that could be so inspiring to to loads of people out there as well and um, yeah I just kind of feel like friendship is so important like we can't do life without friendship and um I just kind of wanted to celebrate female friendship um and in terms of the like self-love aspect <clears throat> so Yinka gives herself like I think six months to kind of find a date um to bring to her cousin's wedding um, to you know to find a boyfriend and in real life you know we all set deadlines and targets but we don't mm-hmm. always meet them so I kind of felt like if she met the one by the end what kind of message was that give the readers yeah you know so I kind of felt like actually the self-love message is more important you know just kind of being um you know loving yourself accepting yourself for who you are flaws and all and also kind of like standing your truth and knowing that love Mm. will come to you in the right time as well so I felt like that message was more important I didn't want people to kind of read and can go away and think that a relationship defines them or their self-worth mm. is tied to who they're with so you know like there's so much more than that so and it's that feeling of of not having to change to find love as well I mean Yinka exactly, very much yeah. she goes on a journey but essentially the person she is doesn't change she's not she's not changing to find that that one true love is she mm-hmm, exactly yeah so it's kind of like becoming her, her better self, really. And that's what she does towards the end of the book. I wonder with your sort of your friend characters, your, your more sort of side characters, did they become more fleshed out in your editing? Or were you kind of, were you confident from the beginning that they had kind of a, a full journey? Because I know when people are writing, sometimes those kind of side characters, you, you don't forget about them, but, but maybe you mm. don't think so much about their journey. But I know you yeah. specifically talked then about they had to have a journey as well. Was that something that came later in the writing? That's a very good question. So I did have, I had that in mind, but in terms of the execution, it wasn't done as well. So like my editor would point out like, you know, where I could kind of flesh out their characters a bit more. And also I think um, they felt like with Rachel and Ola, they were too similar. So I had to look, go back and look at Rachel's character and try to think of you know, how I can make her more distinctive. Mm. Um, 
and also with Nana as well like so I mentioned the fashion business in my early draft she kind of like announced it and then at the end of the fashion show but I didn't show the journey so that was feedback from my editors you know let's see the journey let's see you know how she made it happen Mm. yeah we do we do see a lot of Nana kind of like working on her uh, designs and there's there's thread all over the floor and driving in command with all her mess so yeah you can see that filtering through there one thing I absolutely loved about your novel and I I, I just I kind of love it in general is where you get almost like a mixture of texts and internet searches and emails all throughout kind of peppered throughout the novel and you've even got kind of like a handwritten action plan written on the pages as well and it's Mm -hmm. such a fun aspect because it really makes you come alive I was wondering, was that something you always wanted to include or was that something that you talked about later with your editors? Yeah, so I feel like, um, if I remember correctly, in the early drafts, I included things like the Samsung memo, where she kind of like keeps a track of how many squats that she's doing and like, <laughs> um, <laughs> and her achievements. And um, I think I had the post notes as well, but then, and a few like emails and text messages. But then my editor said, you know, really go for it so, you know one include things like website searches for example um so that's how that kind of came alive and I really kind of wanted it to be an immersive experience so I, I love when you watch a tv show and an actor gets like a text and then mm. the viewer can read a text at the same time so I kind of wanted it to be like that for the reader and um, I thought it'd be a great way for them to kind of like get into Yinka's head to understand their state of mind as well like because there's that quote you know if you want to know a person truly then check the internet history or something like that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's so much fun I mean I think at, at one point I think it's near the beginning of the novel she does like a what like one of those internet quizzes and it gets, gets oh, her yeah, like yeah. her answer you know and I think stuff like that it just makes it so much more fun like it's like it's a fun book anyway but when it, when you're reading those little snippets of someone's life like you say yeah. it's a way of getting to know her really well and I love that aspect of it <laughs> I think we'll all secretly do that like we all kind of like go on the internet on google for reassurance and answers we've we've <laughs> all done things. those buzzfeed quizzes that you know yeah. they give you the, the answer you don't want as well sometimes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to rewind a little bit now and talk about your kind of journey to publication and one of the really significant parts of your journey was when you won the literacy consultancy's pen factor competition and I find that really exciting particularly because I was there when you won yeah. and I, I I said to you before I was with a friend and I remember when you read your piece and the other the other um, competitors were great as well but when you read yours I turned to my friend and I was like that's the one that is the winner <laughs> and uh and I was absolutely thrilled to see you win and we actually both have the same agent and I remember yeah. sitting there thinking if Nell doesn't sign you I don't know what oh. she's doing so <laughs> so as I said you were incredible can you oh, explain you. then how that competition win became getting an agent and getting a book deal what was your journey mm. next that competition changed my life honestly like it was it was life-changing it was a turning point in my life um, and I very nearly didn't apply for the competition because I remember I was I read the previous like bios of the shortlist and the winners and I think most of them had some sort of like writing background or credentials mm. and I was like oh I, I don't feel like I'm qualified but thankfully I you know I applied and ended up winning and basically what happened was after the um, competition I emailed all the judges 
because they all said that they wanted to, you know, read more of Yinka. So I said, okay, here's a full chapter. <laughs> <laughs> and then no, Andrew, she was the only one that said, oh, like, thanks so much for getting in touch because I was going to get in touch with you. Um, and she invited me to her office. And to cut a long story short, after um, asking for 50 pages and a synopsis, and after taking on her feedback as well, she offered me um, formal representation. And that was on the 27th of August, 2019. I remember that date because like it's in my calendar, I celebrate it every year. <laughs> it was such a life-changing moment for me. And I have to give you know, a shout out to Nell, as you know, he was amazing mm. because she signed me on without seeing you know, a formal manuscript. At the time, my writing still needed a lot of work. And she saw my potential and she saw the potential in Yinka as well. And she was so passionate about not just a story, but, you know, passionate about and invested in me as an author. So, yeah, that was incredible. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I I had a similar experience with Nell and, and she her kind of editorial feedback is incredible. And mm. I know you worked for a long time with her on it. And I think in your acknowledgments, you said, you weren't a particularly kind of necessarily confident writer or you you felt like your writing mm. wasn't there yet and yeah, yeah, that yeah. didn't matter because you saw that potential yeah. in you she saw that spark so how did it go from signing with Nell to then getting the book deal was there a, a lot of editing or or how did that go yeah so um I think it took just over a year in total and I think I did maybe that's the thing I never actually reached the end of the income of manuscript until I submitted to publishers mm -hmm. so um I would send now like a chunk and I would go back and work on it again so I kind of like go from the beginning <laughs> so um it was a lot of like editing and um I think what I really struggled with was finding time because I live in Milton Keynes at the time I was working in London and it's like a two hour, two hour commute door to door each way. So, um, yeah, I think just finding time to finish a manuscript was very, very difficult. So lockdown in 2020, um, the first one back in March was a blessing in disguise because it meant that I could write in the morning, you know, write late at night. Mm. And I finished my manuscript, I think in around, around May and after some more edits and tweaks from now, we submitted in June 2020 and then Viking Penguin preempted within 24 hours. Um, and that was like, wow, okay. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that, that reaction. And um, I think like a week later, uh, my US editor did the same thing as well. So yeah, I still yeah. kind of get goosebumps to this day. Just yeah. when I think back on it. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. And they, they obviously saw that potential in the book immediately. And like you said, a, a 24, less than 24 hour preempt is, is incredible. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You mentioned there about how when you were when you were commuting, you struggled to fit in your writing. So you how would you say that you were a writer then or maybe compared to how you are a writer now? Are you able to write in kind of those scrappy bits of time or do you like to sit down and think, right, I'm going to write for two hours? How do you approach it? Um, so now because I'm doing it full time, it's basically. I feel the day with writing, mm. <laughs> you know, um, I don't really like have a, a set time, you know, from nine to five mm. because, you know, some things might crop up during the day or um, you must do like you know interviews like this or um, do errands <laughs> but I try to write every single day um, whereas before I kind of had to kind of fit it as and when I had time you mm. know mainly in the evenings um, the weekends I struggle to write on the train I know some people do that but I just I didn't like people looking over <laughs> <laughs> and also I write in like big fun as well so um, yeah that was that was a no um, but I, I've realized I don't write as fast as I used to. I think before, maybe because I didn't have much time, I, mm. I just used to be like, da, 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 da. but now I'm more of a, I'm more aware of what I'm writing. And maybe it's because I have more experience as well. So mm. when I'm writing now, I'm kind of like thinking, okay, have I covered this? Have I covered that? I think my, my editor's notes are in the back of my head, um, which isn't great when you're writing the first draft, but um, I've realized that that shift. How are you? How are you finding writing your new novel? Do you feel a lot more pressure because you've obviously had this incredible success and now you're under contract? Is it a very different experience? Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Like I've definitely had second um, second book syndrome, so anxiety, um, just like think I'm not good enough. You know, thinking oh maybe Yink was a fluke. Maybe I'm only capable of writing one book. Maybe I'm only capable of writing in Yinka's voice. I had that for a very long time. I felt like I couldn't do write in any other voice. Mm. Um, so it has been a struggle, like emotionally and mentally. And I'm just so thankful for, for Nell, my agent, for my editors, Harriet and Pan, because they've been so understanding, so supportive. And I think for some time, I didn't utilize them enough. And um, I think that's one thing I encourage all writers to do, like, you know, use your editors. That's where they're there for. Like, don't feel like you have to always go to them. We have everything together or, you know, or once your draft looks, you know, polished, like it's okay to share with them a messy draft. And Mm. yeah, I I think there's been a lot of learning from, from this process. 
Yeah, because it's interesting as well. But you you mentioned way back when you were writing this blog and and you shared your your writing, and that's such a daunting thing to do, particularly when you're mm. well, and even your position now where you're thinking. I've got this published book, it's in really good shape. And now I've got to go back to square one and mm. write something that's really messy and yeah. probably completely <laughs> the structure's terrible or the, yeah. the on the line level, it's not so good. And it's it's very kind of exposing to do that and to have to go, mm. here's my work. I know you're going to, I'm gonna say tear it to shreds. And that's not what they do because it's not in a negative way, but it yeah. is a, a challenging thing to have to put yourself out there like that. Mm, yeah and especially with my US editor because she's published some big names <laughs> like <laughs> Helen Fielding and Richard Osman and so sometimes I feel like oh like I don't want to think that she made a mistake by signing me because <laughs> this is not that great um so yeah I, I've had to kind of like rewire my thinking mm. and just remember that a message drop is part and parcel of the process and think back to my early drafts, like the very beginning of Yinka and how messy it was and a lot of things that make the final cut mm. and just how it has evolved. So yeah, I just have to learn to trust a process. We all do it even now. And I think when you're starting out in writing, what you're comparing yourself to is published books that have been through mm. five, six, seven edits. And that's, that's even yeah. after you've worked on the book yourself. And mm-hmm. I know there's a perception out there, and we're going to talk about your editing now, that once you've sold a book, that's kind of it. You're done. Yeah. That's not the case. <laughs> Obviously, nope. you, did a lot of, you did a lot of work with Nell, and then you moved on to working with your UK editors, your US editors. And I read that you, it it's not, wasn't like a big disagreement, but there was an element that in your editing that mm. you and your um, editor kind of disagreed over. They wanted to, change it one way and you were like "Mm, not so sure so you went with your gut and you fought with the way you wanted to deal with your subplot yeah so what was it like kind of making those decisions did you feel a bit like well they're the expert they know what they're talking about or did you think no this is my book what was that kind of collaboration like yeah so when they sent me um the editorial notes I think it was like six pages and after I cried and like, oh, I can't do this. <laughs> I got myself together. Um, most of the things I suggested was on point and yeah, they were right. Totally agreed with it. And it made Jinka, you know, 10 times better. It was just that subplot. I wasn't too sure about um, the solution they were proposing. Mm. So we both agreed that there was an issue with the subplot, but we just didn't know what would be the solution. And I think one of the reasons why my editor was hesitant about my proposal was because it would require a lot of um, work in terms of like rewriting chapters, adding new scenes. And she was a bit like apprehensive that I might end up messing up the book. <laughs> <laughs> but then she, when we spoke about it, she's like, you know, if you have this gut feeling, I trust you. And then when I went ahead and did it and thankfully it all came together, she said, that shows your growth as a writer because you know you know your book inside out and um you won't even got feeling and you're able to kind of like tie everything together so it was very like it was very reassuring to have that faith from my editors um but for the most part the things that editors would suggest take it on board 
but if you do have that niggling like gut feeling then do kind of like speak to them about it yeah that's yeah. great advice your publisher also employed a copy editor to make sure that the Nigerian kind of cultural references were accurate and you had mm. sensitivity readers as well so how did their comments help enhance your writing oh yeah Deborah Balagon so she was the um copy editor of like Nigerian heritage and uh, Maria I can't her last name she was the um beta reader they were absolutely fantastic because you know, there's a lot of Nigerian culture references and, you know, this book is also going to be published in Nigeria and spread by, you know, lots of Nigerians and the African community. So the worst thing that I wanted was like for people to say, wait a minute, that's used in the wrong context or um, is this girl really like, is this author really of Nigerian heritage because mm. all these bits are wrong. So it was very, very helpful to kind of like get um, someone to check over check over it just to make sure everything was accurate and um I didn't use any Yoruba words in the wrong way um and so yeah I'm, I'm so happy and so grateful for their their thoughts as well and also when it just comes to like um the British kind of cultural references as well that was really helpful too um yeah so it made the book stronger and you've been documenting your journey into publication you're editing uh, through an article in the bookseller like a regular column and it can be quite an overwhelming time a bit of a roller coaster so did you feel like writing about your journey honestly helps you made sense of this kind of mad time that you were having yeah I felt like it was very therapeutic as well and it's quite nice going back to the columns and seeing how far I've come and mm. also just like I didn't know that much about the publication journey like what it would look like and how it would feel like as well so um yeah I, I think it was very therapeutic for me and also hopefully it's been beneficial to other writers out there as well mm. kind of get like an inside insight into the process too yeah definitely I, I think it's a a very complicated process and a lot of it is almost I guess because publishers are used to publishing books when you're new to it it can be mm. like what does this mean and what's yeah. next <laughs> and what yeah. do I need to be doing <laughs> or sometimes you might be aware of something but you're not too mm. sure how it feels like for example like promoting my book on social media I knew that at some point I'll have to do that but I didn't know what it would look like and the kind of things I'll be doing and actually it's not as bad as I thought it would be um, it's just more about kind of like being yourself really and mm. um, just kind of having like a open warm kind of friendly demeanor on social media um, yeah so that, I guess readers can kind of warm to you as a as an author yeah and I think when we were talking earlier about that kind of like imposter syndrome part of it is breaking down that feeling and, and having confidence in yourself and being able to be like, no, I am a writer now, my novel's coming out and this is it. And, and being able to talk about it like that online, particularly as well. Yeah. Okay, so speaking of kind of your articles supporting other writers and hopefully guiding them on their publication journey, what advice do you have? Perhaps if you can give me your top three tips for mm. aspiring or new writers working on their novel. I would say don't be a perfectionist. <laughs> 
because it definitely slow you down, especially when you're writing um, your first draft. You just kind of need to get the story out of you and worry about editing later on. Because with writing, there's like a process and there's a time to do certain things. So um, don't be a perfectionist, just kind of like write whatever comes to mind, even if it's, even if you think it's crap, just kind of get it down. Um, <clears throat> the second thing I would say is, I think tell other people that you're a writer, like start to own it, like call mm. yourself a writer if you are writing. Um, and the great thing about telling people is that people, you can make people more um, respectful of your time because, you know, you will need time to write. And if they don't know about it, they might, requ might require more from you than you can give. And also um, it's a good way to like have accountability partners as well. And then lastly, I would say, um, yeah, don't give up. Like I said, you know, it took me five years to write Yinka and um, I couldn't have got where I am today without, you know, just kind of pushing through. And so like, you will have like bad days, but you will also have good days as well. And it's just a case of like taking each day as it comes and um, believing in yourself, believing in your story and just going through it. So yeah, don't give up. Yeah, and enter those competitions and don't think I can't do it because look what exactly. happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked a little bit about um, kind of when you were being inspired by uh, programs like Insecure and Girlfriends, but mm. can you think of any other novels that you can compare Yinka to? So perhaps that readers who like them would would really love Yinka. Um, so going by like what do I've seen I've seen from like readers on Instagram and social media, they've compared my voice to uh, Marion Keys, which is like, you know. Um, Marion Keys has read huge... your book, hasn't she? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she gave you an <laughs> amazing review. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> um, also, I think Beth O'Leary as well, because she kind of like, she does both like um, the humour and the wittiness, but also touches on quite serious issues as well. Um, maybe Sophie Kinsella because she's kind of known for having like a colorful cast of like characters mm. and there's like so many in Yinka. Um, Candice Carter-Williams, so the author of Queenie as well. A lot of people have compared Yinka to, to Queenie. Um, who else? Uh, I think we yeah, have Bolly Babalola as well because she's kind of like, you know, writing a romance space and yeah, I'll say those authors. Yeah, I was, I was a massive Sophie Kinsella fan growing up. Like, I had all the Shopify oh, books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's great. <laughs> so we briefly mentioned the kind of second novel syndrome. Um, and I was wondering if you're able to, can you give us a little tease about what you're writing next? Yeah, oh, I can't say too much about it, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but it's going to be a book where there's like an assemble of like, hopefully amazing characters uh, with like distinctive voices and yeah, watch this space. <laughs> oh, I'm very excited to see what you write next. It's been so lovely to chat to you, Lizzie, and congratulations on Yinka, where is your husband? Oh, thank you so, so much. Thanks so much for inviting me as well. And congrats to you too. Thank like, you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was Lizzie Damalona Blackburn talking about her debut rom-com, Yinka, where is your husband? which is out now and available to buy. Before I go, let me just tell you about two events I've got coming up where I'm hosting this podcast, 
Confessions of a Debut Novelist, live. First, I'm going to be talking to three authors at the Being a Writer Festival, hosted by the Literary Consultancy on June the 28th. Then on July the 22nd, I'm going to be talking to Louise Morrish about her historical novel at Jericho Writers Summer Festival. Both of these events are virtual, so you can join anywhere in the world and even ask questions. And if you're interested in hearing me talk in person about my novel, The Sea Women, I'll be at the Margate Bookie on Thursday the 2nd of June. Tickets for all these events are available to buy and I'll put all the details in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening and if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time. <laughs>